Welcome to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm your host, Richard Nelson. The issue of conscience rights for medical professionals has been hotly debated in recent years. Often the rights of patients seeking elective medical procedures has been elevated above the moral convictions and conscience rights of healthcare providers. And joining us to talk further today is attorney Greg Chafin. He serves as legal counsel for the Alliance Defending Freedom Center for Legislative Advocacy. Greg focuses on legislation impacting religious liberty at the state level and works out of ADF's Ashburn, Virginia office. Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Richard, for having me. So tell us, before we jump into the some of the hot topics on conscience rights, how did you get involved with this particular work in conscience rights, especially as it relates to medical professionals? It seems like a very specialized and a narrow area of the law. How did you get involved with this? Sure. Well, I spent uh, about three years in private practice in law in D.C., and, you know, the day came when, when I was thinking, you know, I need to do something meaningful. Um, and Alliance Defending Freedom had an opening in this in our Center for Legislative Advocacy, uh, which focuses on legislation. We're a very large organization, uh, country's largest that focuses on religious freedom, free speech, parental rights and life issues. And they have a, a, had a new center that focuses on legislation, not just the litigation in the courts. And you know, across the country, we know how things are unfolding and we know how important and dear religious freedom is in our country. And there's really a, an opportunity here for states. States is really where work can be done in the legislatures. Um, so I was very happy to, to throw my hat in the ring and, and participate and help, help legislatures think through some of these issues and, and really draft good legislation that can have meaningful uh, import and, and impact on, on doctors and really everybody in the state that wants to live their faith freely. Greg, that's really important work, uh, especially in a day where religious freedom and conscience rights are just, they, they're pushed to the back. You know, the, the mantra today or the mentality mindset is that we're supposed to live, our, live, our, live your own truth out and don't let anybody get in the way of that. And there, there's a strong cultural push. The tide is pushing strong in that direction. And you're advocating and fighting for something that um, really is not held in high regard. Do you find that when you are arguing for conscience rights in uh, the courtroom, that the judges understand that, yeah, there's something bigger than just what somebody feels at the moment, just what they're, you know, and I think, for example, this real strong push of gender identity, where individuals are told that they can define whether or not they're male or female. And there's all this terminology that swirls around that, like, you know, male assigned at birth. Well, we know that it's not the doctor or the parents, but God assigns our gender while we were, before we were even created. We hear other terms like a birthing person. You know, this terminology speaks to uh, this cultural moment into the mindset of where much of popular culture is. But when you argue in the courts for conscience rights, are you finding that judges are in a different world when they think about this? Are you finding favor with the judges as you argue for conscience rights? So, you know, in, in the courtroom, you know, the judges are using constitutional law or they're using state statutes. And so they're really restricted by that and, and what other courts have decided before them. Um, and, you know, sometimes courts go different ways, but, you know, with the protecting children from gender procedures, uh, we are finding courts recognizing that, that yes, states can protect children from those procedures. 
Uh, and so that's very promising. Uh, my particular focus is in state legislatures, where I will be in committee hearings explaining uh, these laws before before legislators. And, and they are not as restricted by uh, the statutes that they've had or the constitutional requirements. They're th look focusing more on the political side of things. Um, and like you're saying, it is very important uh, to put a light on the importance of conscience rights, on the importance of religious freedom, because unfortunately, in many parts of our country, and in Kentucky as well, there are fewer and fewer people of faith. And when that happens, you know, of course, we have religious freedom, which means you can live your faith freely uh, or also to leave it. Uh, but as a result, you have the legislatures making rules that really don't take account of people's faiths as much. Uh, and so that's why Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which we may talk about later, um, is so important to making sure that people are free to live their faith and that the government should not be interfering with people's living out their sincerely held religious convictions. You wrote in a column a while back that there is a real need for conscience protections uh, across the country. And you cite a few very interesting statistics. And you say that among Christian medical students, 36% say that they've experienced discrimination during medical schools uh, based on their moral, ethical, or religious beliefs. One in five medical students say that they've chosen not to practice in a certain field because of hostility towards their beliefs in that area of practice, most, mostly in the area of OB-GYN. And nine out of 10 religious doctors, nurses, and other medical professionals say that they would rather stop practicing medicine than violate their ethical, moral, or religious beliefs. Now, now, Greg, some those statistics are alarming, by the way. I, I've not seen those before, but some would say, well, those people just need to move on and forget about practicing medicine if they cannot accommodate the, uh, the patient and what they desire. How do you respond to that? Well, you know, there is a problem in particular in Kentucky with a shortage of healthcare workers uh, to the tune of more than 10,000 healthcare workers. Um, you need to fill vacancies. And if you're telling medical students who spend four years of undergrad, four years of medical school and years of residency afterwards, that if, if you know, they've spent all this time, effort, money into their profession, and then they're posed with a procedure that violates their conscience, whether it be assisted suicide, an abortion, removing healthy limbs, uh, gene editing of children in utero. Uh, those are things that that student is in that moment asked to forget and walk away from years and thousands of dollars of expense. Um, that's, that's dire. And so if you protect conscience rights for students and doctors, and this means that it's, it's about the procedure. What procedure are we wanting to force doctors to do? Um, no, instead, you can, you can ensure that everybody is free to come into the medical profession uh, with their ethics intact. Of course, we want our doctors to, doctors to pursue their oath to do no harm um, and to give their clients the absolute best care that they can. Um, so no, we don't want to, doctors to put their conscience at the door before they do any medical procedures. We want them to work with integrity. Um, and bills like Kentucky's considering this year, the Medical Ethics Defense Act, Med Act, uh, would do just that. It would ensure that doctors can't be forced to do a procedure that violates their conscience. Uh, it sounds common sense, but unfortunately, uh, you know, not everybody's on board. So we need to educate our legislators as to how important this is to ensure that doctors in Kentucky can be free to practice medicine and care for their patients uh, with their conscience intact. And this is good for all of the families and patients in your state. Uh, because then they're able to find doctors that they can agree with. Another statistic is that 80% of people want a doctor whose morals align with them. And that makes sense, right? Especially if you're a pediatrician uh, and you have a parent with little children, I have four. Of course, I want to know that the, the 
person uh, sees eye to eye with me when she's advising how my children should uh, receive medical care. And unfortunately, as you mentioned before, with the gender identity issues, this is something that can be forced upon children or just misinformation given or doctors think a different way than the parents. And it sends a very confusing message to children. Uh, so ensuring that there are conscience rights uh, protected for doctors ensures that there are more options for parents. Greg, that's, uh, you bring up several good points, one of which is that there's a shortage of doctors and nurses uh, here in Kentucky, especially the rural parts of the state. Uh, we have a shortage. And uh, the last thing that public policy should do would be to make it more difficult for uh, young people to enter the medical profession. And by the, the Med Act and shoring up conscience rights, this is one way to let them know that they can practice medicine and help people without being forced to violate their conscience. Uh, Greg, you also mentioned that parents desire to have medical professionals who align with their values. The Commonwealth of Kentucky is a conservative state. Most people identify as Christian here. And uh, I think that they would appreciate and really desire to have medical professionals who will give them advice from that same worldview, from those same convictions that they have. Uh, for example, you know, when you talk about gender dysphoria, which is increasing with younger kids today, I think parents would want to go to a doctor who's not going to advise puberty blockers and hormone therapy and uh, gender mutilation surgery. They're going to want to hear from a doctor who will try to help conform that child's psychological state with their physical reality. And this bill would allow that to, the medic would allow that to, uh, allow that to happen. I, I think it's Steve Rawlings who's introduced that bill, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the state level bill. Are you finding support here in Kentucky? Have you, have you begun to work here in Kentucky with legislators on this bill? So yeah, so there is great support. Uh, doctors are coming in support of it and many legislators are in support of it. Um, but just like you know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was a unanimous uh, bill when it passed out of the federal Congress 30 years ago, um, we think this is a bill that should also receive unanimous support because it's common sense protections for, for doctors uh, in, your, in your community. Greg, just to give some other examples of what we're talking about in some states that do not have conscience protections for healthcare workers, they're forced to participate in abortions or they are forced to participate in some kind of gender transition protocol for minors. And this bill would put an end to that. Uh, this would say that the doctors and nurses and pharmacists should not be compelled to put their conscience at the door, to check it in at the door, and to go along with procedures, to participate in procedures that violates, violates their conscience. Um, what kind of arguments are you finding against this bill? W what are people saying as to their reasons as to their opposition? So one of the things that we're hearing that comes more from a misunderstanding of the bill uh, is that they're afraid that the bill would allow doctors to refuse services to a particular person that, that comes in for treatment. Um, and that's not what the bill does. And so their concerns are, are misdirected. Uh, the bill talks, as you said, as we're talking about particular procedures. Um, assisted suicide, abortions, uh, giving hormones to children that will cause irreversible damage. Those are procedures that these doctors think will hurt the child. It, it does not in any way allow a doctor to refuse services to a person um, because of, of who they are or what characteristics or lifestyles. That's not what it does. It's, it's what is the procedure that's involved and in who is being forced to do it? 
On the other side, you know, th there's also some issues with with the employers not wanting their employees to have conscience rights. Um, understandable, because for these businesses, it's the bottom line, and they want to be able to, you know, turn a profit. Um, and and it, the reality is, is you, we need to accommodate the religious practices of our employees. Um, hospitals have to accommodate all sorts of other things like age restrictions and, and other things. And, and they really should be focusing on their doctors and ensuring that as employers, they will not force their medical workers to do anything that would jeopardize their conscience. One of the critics of conscience protections is a woman by the name of Liz Reiner Platt. She's the director of Columbia Law School's Law, Rights, and Religion Project. And she says this, Patients are being denied the standard of care, being denied adequate medical care because objections to certain routine medical practices are being prioritized over patient health. So she's arguing essentially that the right to abortion, contraception, you mentioned gene editing, gender transition procedures. She's saying that those are routine medical practices that uh, are necessary for patients' health. First of all, would you agree with that, that any of those different categories are necessary for patients' health? So I, I think you're exactly right to read into that statement her characterization of some of these new procedures, these radical procedures, assisted suicide, ending of somebody's life. You know, doctors take an oath to do no harm, to not give medicines that would end somebody's life. And if assisted medicine becomes the standard of care, you're just flipping that upside down and now requiring doctors as a standard of care to do that. And, and to be very clear, you know, the Med Act in no way undermines the standard of care. The standard of care is, is exactly what it is. Once a doctor is caring for somebody, they need to provide the best medical care there is. Uh, but if a patient, like you start, you launched this, this whole interview saying about patients putting their preferences over doctors' rights of conscience, uh, there's a conscience rights that doctors have. And with new elective procedures that are every day, technology is advancing so rapidly that if a patient goes online and does their own diagnosis for themselves and comes to a doctor and requests a particular medical procedure, the doctor should be able to say, I don't think that's in your best interest. I'm the doctor here, and I'm going to follow my conscience and, and my training to do what's in best health, what's, what's in the best interest for your health. Um, and so we need this more than ever, because when you have people setting standards of care that violate conscience rights, we need the doctors to be able to speak freely. And that's actually what helps medicine develop too. This free speech protection for doctors too helps ensure that when medicine is developing, if somebody has a concern that a particular procedure is harming somebody, that their medical associations won't shut them down. Unfortunately, that's been happening far too much with the gender identity area, where you have major medical associations that in some cases, you know, their members have asked for them to revisit policies, but they haven't done what their members have asked. And so if you have this sort of agency capture and then them pushing on doctors, not letting them speak freely, not letting them recommend that this might harm people or mention the risks, discuss the risks, that that censoring of free speech for doctors will also undermine healthcare in the long run and especially in the short term, too. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Richard Nelson, founder and executive director of the Commonwealth Policy Center. We're here to shore up the sanctity of human life, religious freedom, natural marriage, and sound fiscal policies. At the Commonwealth Matters, we have conversations with leading thinkers and policymakers to help us think biblically about the great issues of the day. If you appreciate our work, then please consider a donation today. This work is entirely supported by people just like you. Your gifts and tax-deductible contributions help to underwrite this program, and you help to get this important message out all across the Commonwealth. 
We believe that the Commonwealth of Kentucky is a great place to live, and we want to keep it that way for our families and our children. That's why we're standing for what's right, for what's good, and what's true right here in Kentucky. Thanks in advance for your support, and may God bless you. If you're just joining us, we're talking medical conscience rights for healthcare professionals with Greg Chafwin of Alliance Defending Freedom. And uh, Greg, you had mentioned the healthcare organizations or the medical uh, organizations, and many of them have become more political than they have been advocates for good medicine. And I think of the American Medical Association and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and where they have taken political positions on the great issues of the day, whether it's gender dysphoria or abortion, uh, instead of basing their decisions in good medicine. And you've seen pushback from especially Christian doctors who say, look, let's look at the, let's look at the science. Let's look at medical protocol. But that seems to be disregarded, this huge, it's almost a, t- a tsunami of political, I don't know, it's just a, it's a force. It is not based in science or reason or good medicine. Does this bill that we're talking about, the Med Act, would it help them, help Christian medical professionals push against their own, uh, some of the major organizations as they call to violate or to steamroll over conscience rights and protections of healthcare providers? Well, what the Med Act does is it can protect free speech rights of these doctors to be able to speak freely about these issues. Um, with right now, if you're a doctor and you you do a study that has results that might not coincide with what some of these associations want to see, there have been examples where doctors have been removed from their position or professors, you know, they lose their their positions because the results the results of their study don't fall in line with what these associations want to see. So if you protect free speech rights, you're encouraging debate, you're encouraging this free flow of information and this marketplace of ideas where the truth can come out. And we're talking here about evidence-based medicine, you know, on the the gender issue that in Europe, we're already seeing their studies showing the harms and the risks um, and and how it's not as certain as they once thought. Uh, And so they're walking back their policies there uh, and we just need that to happen here. Very good. I want to go back to what Liz Reiner Platt, the director of Columbia Law School's Law, Rights, and Religion Project, was essentially making the case that if you don't participate in an abortion or get involved with gender affirming care, so called gender affirming care, then you are you're denying routine medical practices. We would argue that those are elective procedures. An abortion, 99% of abortions are elective. It's for personal reason, is not to save the mother's life. Gender dysphoria, that's elective. If you allow a, a young person who's suffering from gender dysphoria to grow up, um, they will eventually embrace their biological gender. But the question is this, has medicine or has medicine drawn that distinction well between elective medicine and life-saving medicine? Because it seems to me that the two are being conflated, at least looking back at what Liz Reiner Platt is saying here. Well, in particular with the Med Act, it specifically carves out a a federal law that has to do with emergency procedures. It's a federal law called EMTALA um, that requires hospitals to serve people that appear at a hospital with a life-threatening condition, even if they can't afford it. And the MedAct recognizes that, of course. Life-saving procedures are not the ones that doctors have objections, conscientious objections to. 
Uh, those, it's those elective procedures that are problematic. Um, but in a separate case that some of my colleagues are, are challenging is when the federal government is trying to say that um, MTALA, this emergency provision, requires doctors to do abortions. Um, it's, that was never part of that law. Um, and now there's a, a case uh, ongoing that's, that's challenging the, the administration's rewording and reinterpretation of, of that rule. So there is an ongoing threat that even, even trying to use that emergency medical procedures avenue to compel doctors to do things that could violate their conscience. Greg, I'm glad that you brought that up. That was the next thing I was going to ask you was that right now ADF is representing a group of conservative doctors in this case, blocking the Biden administration from enforcing their MTALA, which is the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act. And it does require doctors to perform abortions, um, even though there's no federal law that would require that, or no federal law that protects abortion for that matter. What is the status of that lawsuit right now? So in this case, this case arises out of Idaho, and, and we are, that is Idaho's case, and we are assisting them in their uh, litigation efforts. And that is something that the Supreme Court has agreed to hear this term. Um, so uh, they, along with Cooper and Kirk, uh, will be arguing that before the Supreme Court this spring, uh, and we are assisting them on that legal matter. I was not aware of this, and I, I pay pretty close attention to public policy uh, in the country, m- much of it at the state level. But is the medical community aware of what the Biden administration has done with MTALA using an executive order, using an administrative agency to compel doctors to perform abortions? Is this uh, widely known in the medical community across the country? So there are a few uh, Christian medical associations that are aware of it and that are you know, keeping up, up to date with this and, and raising the alarm, um, ensuring that the administration, you know, the administrative state has to follow rules. Um, and if they don't follow rules, um, that's, they're breaking the rules to change the rules. And so that's problematic, and hence, hence the litigation that's ongoing. Uh, so, but unfortunately, some of the other medical associations don't want to raise a challenge. They're fine with those changes being made if they agree with the outcome that it's pursuing. Um, but some, some of them, the Christian organizations are, are, I think, raising the alarm. That's good. Well, I, I do wish you well as uh, ADF fights that uh, or argues it in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. Any idea when that ruling will be handed down? So, uh, so it will likely be the Idaho Attorney General or other counsel, um, as we'll be behind the scenes there helping them. Uh, but likely it will be around June, May, June timeframe. We may have a decision there. Another case that Alliance Defending Freedom has is uh, it's a case regarding the Food and Drug Administration versus Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. And that is also before the Supreme Court. And this is uh, likely to shape access to abortion medication in the U.S. Can you speak to that case at all? Because this is, again, it's related to conscience rights, but is this something you could speak to? Yes. So this was uh, FDA changing their rules again, not following the rules that they needed to do that. There were various details uh, in the case leading up to the Supreme Court. Uh, But what we will be arguing at the Supreme Court is on this particular point of the just FDA removing certain safety requirements uh, for these high risk drugs that are given to women. And over the years, they've taken away all of these regulations that are meant to ensure that women will be kept safe, uh, follow up with doctors, things like that. Um, and unfortunately, one in 20, the FDA has even said that one in 25 women uh, will have some sort of situation following this. And if they remove the safety measures, that puts an awful lot of women at risk. Um, and so we're challenging that unlawful change in rules at the Supreme Court. Talk about the conscience angle on this. Would this compel pharmacists to dispense abortion-ending drugs? And this was something done under the 
Biden administration's Food and Drug Administration, where they fast-tracked or really opened the doors, um, opened the availability to uh, abortion-inducing drugs um, to the general public, uh, where they, you know, the doctors were taken out, the young women weren't counseled, they weren't told the about the complications or side effects. How does this affect pharmacists, this current policy? So that particular case that'll be at the Supreme Court is just about the change in the regulations, uh, the safety procedures that have, have been taken off about mailing them and things like that. Um, there are, of course, a slew of things coming out of the administration challenging conscience rights uh, for doctors. Uh, there's another case arising out of Tennessee uh, where the administration is just changing what the term sex means and including sexual orientation and gender identity um, and its interpretation of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. Um, and that just change in how they read it would require doctors to do these dangerous, uh, harmful procedures, even on children. And so that's another example of, of you know, this is the American College of Pediatrics versus Becerra case uh, that we are representing, just pushing back against this tide from the administration that's threatening conscience rights for doctors um, and in ways that will lead to serious harm for kids. Health and Human Services organization was in the news recently. Becerra talked about, and I don't have his exact quote, but he talked about, actually gave uh, acknowledgement to conscience rights of medical professionals and trying to balance that with the desires of the patients. And this is the case that you're referring to. Is that correct? I don't have his exact quote in front of me either, uh, but it may be. And, and the reason I even bring this up is maybe they're taking a step in the right direction, or maybe they're just feeling the pressure from legal action uh, that they're facing uh, right now. Greg, I want to go back to, and we've got just a, just a couple minutes here, but if I could go back to what you're doing at the state level, your focus is on legislation. Uh, I take it you work all across the country, is that correct, with states all across the country? That's correct. Any state that is uh, advancing religious freedom, I'm happy to review their laws and advise them how they can strengthen them, give them new ideas. And states that are passing laws or suggesting laws that would hinder religious freedom, uh, you know, just cautioning them to uh, not, not infringe on this fundamental liberty. What kind of response are you finding in other states where you come in and maybe you're invited to present in front of a legislative body and talk about the need for conscience rights and conscience protections for medical professionals? What kind of response are you finding generally? Yeah, this this is something that's great. Uh, we're seeing an, an uptick in the states that are are focusing on medical rights of conscience. Uh, just in the last few years, five additional states have added medical rights of conscience uh, from uh, Montana, Ohio, Arkansas, South Dakota, South Carolina, and Florida have all passed robust legislation protecting doctors' conscience rights. Um, and a number of states this session are also interested in this um, uh, avenue of protecting conscience rights. So we're excited to keep moving forward. And, you know, I think as time progresses on across the country and the way things are going, we're going to need more conscience protections and not less. Uh, and again, this just benefits parents, families uh, who are looking for doctors that they can agree with. And it helps medical students and doctors who want to study medicine and stay in the medical field. Very good. Greg Chafwin of Alliance Defending Freedom, you are doing great work, brother. We look forward to you helping us here in the Commonwealth of Kentucky as we work on state level legislation. And if you've enjoyed this program, please go to your favorite podcast platform and rate us there. Uh, also tell your friends about us. That's a really good way that we can expand our reach to others across Kentucky. Greg Chafin, thank you so much. God bless you and keep up the good work.